the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. In one of his first orders of business, Speaker Kevin McCarthy chose Wisconsin Representative Mike Gallagher to chair the new Select Committee on Engagement with the Chinese Communist Party. The CCB doesn't pose a danger to just Republicans or Democrats. It's a threat to all Americans. We'll look at our national security issues today with former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo with a focus on the Chinese Communist Party. You have to acknowledge they have been at war with us for 40 years. Including a look at cybersecurity and the ability to impact our elections. The Chinese have breadth of scale that no one else has. And why is it that Chairman Xi presents such a unique challenge? There was a facade there. There was a barrier there. There was an unwillingness to actually have a candid conversation. All this and more. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Great to be with you. Catch my program each weekday morning live, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time and on demand 24-7. Learn more at HughHewitt.com. And follow me, please, on Twitter at Hugh Hewitt. And follow this program as well at Town Hall Review. We're going to give extended coverage today to national security issues facing our country in the third decade of the 21st century. Of course, we are aware of the devastation in Turkey and Syria. We're aware of everything going on in the world, but once in a while we must take a long view. In the early days of the new Congress, I argued then that the Select Committee on Engagement with the Chinese Communist Party is the most important work of the 118th Congress. As we expected, Speaker Kevin McCarthy selected Wisconsin Representative Mike Gallagher a regular guest on my radio program, to chair the Select Committee. Speaking before a full House, Gallagher made it clear why the stakes are so high. It is time to understand the urgency of the threat. It is time to reclaim our economic independence in key areas. The Select Committee will expose the CCP's coordinated whole-of-society strategy to undermine American leadership and American sovereignty while working on a bipartisan basis and with the committees of jurisdiction to identify long-overdue, common-sense approaches to counter CCP aggression. And I stress working on a bipartisan basis because that's the only way we're going to be successful over the long term. The CCP doesn't pose a danger to just Republicans or Democrats. It's a threat to all Americans. And I commend my colleague for his work on the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. That is one of the most consequential significant pieces of legislation that we've passed on a bipartisan basis in recent years. And it's up to us to ensure that it's fully implemented. And there's much work to be done on that front. We need to have a united front here in Congress to counter the Chinese Communist Party. And in so doing, at every step along the way, we must make sure that we are drawing a distinction between the party and the Chinese people, with whom we have no quarrel and who are often the primary victims of CCP CCP aggression and repression. In sum, there is no more critical challenge facing our nation today. I am grateful to Speaker McCarthy for his leadership in establishing this select committee 
for giving me the mission of ensuring this stays bipartisan. You've heard his sincerity in wanting this to be an area where Republicans and Democrats can work together. Michael Pillsbury, the China expert from the Hudson Institute, calls this competition the 100-year marathon. And while it has been underway for decades, the race has reached a critical moment. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is a serious-minded leader in foreign affairs and a veteran in diplomacy representing our nation with strength and a deft hand. Pompeo's out now with his new book, a memoir, titled Never Give an Inch, Fighting for the America I Love. Pompeo was a guest on my program. You credit the Trump administration with, quote, much-needed generational transformation of America's relationship with China. That's true. Page 231, you write, I first met the most dangerous man in the world on June 14th, 2018. That's bracing. You're talking about President Xi. Why is he the most dangerous man in the world, Mr. Secretary? He's the most dangerous man in the world because, as I was taught as a young cadet, there's two things you need to evaluate, capacity and intent. The Chinese Communist Party has enormous capacity. It's got problems. It's got demographic issues. It's got financial challenges. But it's got 1.4 billion people, a massive missile and nuclear capability, a large, relatively sophisticated military, cyberspace, you name it. Uh, it has enormous capacity and the economic throw weight to put behind it as well. And then intent. Xi Jinping has been unambiguous about his desire. And we often talk about in the context of Taiwan. Yep, he says, I want to reunify China. What he means by that is go capture the sovereign nation, the great democratic people uh, that live on the island of Taiwan. That's his mission. But his mission is so much bigger than that. He wants to undermine the Western way of life, the things we love, the fact that we can go to church and worship the way we want, the fact that we can teach our kids the things we want. We can pick the job we want. We can speak. We have a First Amendment. He wants to take all that down and wants the world to run much more like his giant authoritarian surveillance state. We can't let that happen. He has the capacity and intent to make our children and grandchildren live in a very different world. And we have a responsibility to make sure that he doesn't even get close to that. No, I think you are easily the most disliked man by the Chinese Communist Party. And I don't think there's a close second. I think you're number one. Given that, have you thought about whether or not the Chinese, A, can influence our elections, B, would influence our elections in 2024 if Mike Pompeo got close to the Oval Office? So I've thought about it a little, and I've seen it a little. I don't think there's any doubt that the Chinese Communist Party would prefer uh, someone other than me to be president of the United States. Maybe that's a bit of an understatement. I, I was sanctioned by them at about noon on January 20th of 2021. But, you know, Hugh, this is it. And, and by the way, so they will do, I, still to this day, I'm sure as a result of this interview, they'll write stories in the China Global Times and the like about what a idiot I am and what a, a mean person I am and how I don't really Warmonger. Yes. Uh, and then I want to start World War III. The truth is I am determined to make sure we don't end up at a military confrontation with the Chinese Communist Party. But ha you have to acknowledge they have been at war with us for 40 years. And that's what we did. So, yeah, they'll, they'll try and have an impact on our election. I'm, I'm confident of that. I also credit the American people with being able to see through it. We'll, we'll, we'll be all right. Well, they'll do TikTok, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm certain an information operation will go on against you and any other serious person on China. But I wonder, do you think if anyone ever gets the ability to influence our vote counts, it will be, in my opinion, the Chinese Communist Party. Are they the closest to having that ability, Mr. Secretary? The, there's a couple contenders for closest, including we should always be mindful there are very capable cyber actors that aren't nation states as well. And I write about that in Never Give an Inch also. But yes, the Chinese have breadth and scale that no one else has. I feel pretty good about the capacity to protect from external 
actors impacting actual vote counts. But offense is easy to play. Defense is difficult. Pray the Biden administration is continuing the work we did for four years to protect those very systems. All right, Mr. Secretary, one of the things you put in here that I did not anticipate seeing, and I don't know that many people will pick up on it on page 179, China is not part of the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Agreement. We know that. Russia violates it. China is not a party to it. You write, quote, we will one day need capabilities of our own installed, meaning intermediate range nuclear missiles, within reach of the Chinese periphery. That's a big deal. Do you expect pushback on that? Goodness. Um, from, from who, Hugh? From uh, D.C. establishment? The blob. From, the blob. Yes. From the blob, almost certainly. Uh, the central thesis that I talk about with the Chinese Communist Party is we've, we, it's been a one-way ratchet. They do something, we bow down. Uh, they move, we turn the other cheek. They're aggressive. We tell them, please don't do that again. And they just keep rolling. So the central thesis is this concept of being reciprocal. Just we should behave the way they do. And they now are capable of using their both intermediate range and long range missiles to strike things that matter an awful lot to the United States of America. And these inter- intermediate range missiles are important for lots of reasons. We don't have time to speak to it. The book talks about it a little bit. But yes, I, I'm confident that we will find nations that want to host our intermediate range uh, facilities and that we will do so. This will be the way that we gain the deterrence, the very deterrence that Ronald Reagan came to understand in Europe in the uh, last century. We will have to execute to make sure to protect America from the threat of the Chinese Communist Party in this century. There is an anecdote and never give an inch. Uh, you received an invitation or you asked for an invitation to speak to the Republican Governors Association, uh, to the National Governors Association, NGA. Yeah. And they said, huh, what, what, Secretary of State, what? And you showed up and you told them that each of them had been classified by the Chinese government. That got their attention. Would you tell the audience a little bit about that story, which they've got to read in full to appreciate? But the CCP has a file on every governor and they are classified. So I, uh, I had seen hints of this when I was a CAA director, but in the time I became Secretary of State, I was able to see it more clearly. And I was able to get this document declassified. It was written nominally by a, a Chinese think tank. But what they'd done at the direction of the Chinese Communist Party was to continue to evaluate all 50 governors of the United States of America. And they would rank them friend, foe, or we're working on them. And by the time I got it declassified, I'd also noted that there was a, a meeting in Washington, D.C., where all the governors would be. And so I called Governor Hogan and then Governor New York Cuomo and asked for 20 minutes. Uh, they gave me 20 minutes on a Saturday afternoon. It was a pretty sleepy day. Uh, but when I began to lay out for them the fact that the Chinese Communist Party was watching them, observing them, running influence operations against them, and had measured them, had rated them, essentially said, do we have them in our pocket yet or not? Boy, I had their attention. They all they all turned immediately to their uh, devices or to their chiefs of staff and said, hey, I got to have a copy of that. I got to know where I am. And, and I wanted them to just be a little taken aback. But mostly I wanted to remind them that this isn't just an attack on our federal government. It is at every level of our government today that the Chinese Communist Party is conducting its assault against our freedoms. Thank you for calling out, quote, the Holy See's hypocrisy on China. Rome gave many inches on the religious freedom of Catholics. Our American first foreign policy did not. Uh, as a Catholic, I'm grateful that you called them on that. Do you think Francis has any idea what his diplomats are doing, or is the Vatican State Department as disconnected from executive branch leadership as ours is? 
Boy, I, I, I think it's pretty disconnected, but I also think it's very consistent with what the Pope has come to understand as being in the Vatican's best interest. But your point's well taken. People should know the Vatican has a massive foreign policy establishment and can be incredibly productive in the world. They have this moral authority that none other has. And so I was pleading with them. Uh, I remember when President Reagan worked with Thatcher and, and Pope John Paul II, right? They changed the nature of history. And, and I wanted this Vatican under this pope to help me change the history for people inside of China. Uh, instead, they cut a deal, letting essentially the CCP uh, select who the Chinese church leadership would be. They, church has never permitted that to happen before. And boy, I, I, I wrote a piece in First Things. I was, I was told, nope, turns out uh, Pope's got to wash his hair that day, <laughs> canceled the meeting on me uh, because I'd simply called out what I, the truth. I, I, I brooked no ill towards them. I simply wanted the Pope to use his moral authority to protect the Chinese people's right to practice their faith inside of their country. I regret that it took a conservative Republican to make this argument. This should be something that every American cares deeply about around the world. Uh, and so, yes, uh, no, I've been sanctioned by Iran, banned from Russia. The Chinese Communist Party doesn't like me, and uh, the Vatican wouldn't let me come see the Pope. Coming up, more on Chinese President Xi Jinping. There was a facade there. There was a barrier there. There was an unwillingness to actually have a candid conversation. When the Town Hall Review returns in a moment. Celebrating our 25th anniversary, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy invites you to learn from one of our beloved teachers, Dr. Gordon Lloyd, in a four-part webinar series titled The Roots of Political Economy, Capitalism versus Socialism. This free video series teaches foundational principles of free markets, as well as the philosophers behind socialism. Find out more at go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. That's go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. We do well to give special attention today to the Chinese Communist Party and President Xi Jinping. But when you only look at Putin's unprovoked war of aggression against Ukraine, to be reminded that there are other dangerous actors on the world stage today. In addition to Putin, I'd point to the Ayatollah Ali Khamenei in Iran and, of course, Kim Jong-un in North Korea. Let's pick up with more of my conversation with former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, author of Never Give an Inch. Fighting for the America I love. There's only one guy in the world who's dealt with Putin, Xi, and Kim as much as President Trump, and that's you. You've actually dealt more with Putin, Xi, and Kim, more than Biden has dealt with them. And so on the scale of despicables, who's more despicable, Xi, Putin, or Jaime, or Kim? Oh, goodness. You're splitting hairs now, you. All pretty bad. I don't think about them from personality characteristics other than to try and figure out what might uh, avoid tripping their trigger when we didn't want to and to trip it when we did. Uh, what I, we always focused on, what are, what, what are their capabilities? What's the risk? How do we solve for that? And what risk are we prepared to take to make sure we get deterrence established and keep uh, keep America safe? Uh, different different characters, all with very different backgrounds, uh, but they, they share some common characteristics. Each of, each of them understands that the one nation that is indispensable to take down to achieve their ultimate objectives is the United States of America. And second, uh, they understand American leadership and strength. And when they don't see it, when they see the inverse of that, uh, weakness, fecklessness, uh, inattention, 
the absence of focus, the inability to actually lead coalitions across the world in ways that matter when they see that, they're going to they're gonna make advances. We saw it with Putin in Ukraine. We've seen it with Xi Jinping as it continues to move about Africa and South America. Uh, we see it with Chairman Kim today as he's launching missiles at a rate that is absolutely historic. It exceeds even what he did under President Obama. American leadership can resolve many of these things. We can make America more secure. And each of those leaders, including Hamane, who we didn't speak to, each of those leaders understands American power. And we demonstrated our willingness to use it in a way that didn't put 60, 80, 100,000 American lives at risk. This is the best of American foreign policy. Putin, it sounds about as ruthless and as cold as they come. What is he the least likable, not dangerous, but just least likable of these four? Uh, you have met Hamani. Uh, I have not. I have not met the Iranian leader. Um, goodness, least likable. <laughs> Tough call. No, you know the truth is uh, the least likable, the least, uh, uh, the least ability to have a, a conversation where you know that you're communicating was Xi Jinping. There was I thought a, you were going to say that. There, there was a facade there. There was a barrier there. There was an unwillingness to actually have a candid conversation. Even even the leader of that country, at least in conversations with me, most often, although not always, but most often kind of just stuck to the talking points, didn't want to engage in a real communication, the kind of ways that one might actually bridge differences. Uh, with both Putin and Chairman Kim, we were able to break that down, actually have real conversations. I wasn't able to achieve that with Xi Jinping. Uh, can I turn to Iran? This book will be fascinating to anyone who has watched the Ayatollahs and their mullah muggers. But I want people to be understanding. You are on their hit list. So is Brian Hook. So are a number of other Americans. So is President Trump. So is General Milley, Robert O'Brien. There's a long hit list. They are trying to kill Americans. Whether it's you or anybody else, Mr. Secretary, if they succeed, what should the administration do immediately? First rule is make sure that they don't. Right. And you, what you shouldn't do to make sure you have deterrence is sit down and negotiate a new nuclear deal with them. So give them resources, don't enforce sanctions. So we are putting not, not my life in particular, although perhaps it is included, but we're putting American European lives at risk with our Iran policy today. So an enormous mistake to have gone back to the weakness of President Obama. Goodness, you know, I write about this in the book, the Clinton administration, when I think it was President Bush senior was threatened, made clear that an attempt to kill an American inside the United States will be met with force, and in fact was, as opposed to waiting until someone is harmed, injured, or killed inside the United States. Today, the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, said, gosh, if you do it, we'll take a strong response. I don't want to get into what the response options are, but make no mistake about it, the Iranians can see uh, that the world changed on January 20th for them, and that they now have more power. And these protests haven't been supported. And the Iranian people, the people in our friend and partner Israel, are more at risk. And the American people are more at risk as well today. Okay, let's move to uh, the thing that will get the blob most excited. I mean, you're really going to have hell rain down on you because you said a nice thing about MBS. Not MBZ, MBS, Saudi Crown Prince Salman. And they're going to blow up because of Khashoggi. And you write about it at length. But you are also Mr. Real Politique. So what should the American people understand about Saudi Arabia and their crown prince, who will be their ruler for probably 50 to 60 years if the actuarial tables hold? <laughs> uh, goodness, uh, there's, there's a bunch. Let's, let's start with the first rule that I talk about in Never Give an Inch. 
the mission set is to protect America, right? We have lots of issues around the world. We've talked about making religious freedom in China more capable, where we want good things for the Iranian people. The very first mission is to protect America. We shorthanded it America first. With respect to the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, they are an incredibly important security partner for the United States. And we need to make sure we never forget that. When it all goes to heck, when there are problems in the Middle East tomorrow or two or five years from now, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia will be our partner and the Iranians will be on the other side. You can write it down. And so we should never mistake these two places. And this is what this administration got backwards. They said Mohammed bin Salman would be a pariah and sat down with the Iranian negotiators. That is just insane. So first rule, know who your friends are. Make sure you stay close to them. When Jamal Khashoggi was murdered in Turkey, uh, we knew that this was completely unacceptable. This was indecent and immoral. And folks who did it needed to be held accountable. We did that. I think I sanctioned some dozen, 13 people uh, from the kingdom. Uh, I then, in very short order, encouraged the president. And he did make clear that we were going to stick with the kingdom, uh, that we were going to be good partners alongside of them. And then I traveled there uh, to meet with the, the crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, uh, both to speak to him privately about our disappointment, our, our disgust at what had taken place in Turkey, the killing of Jamal Khashoggi, but also to make clear we were going to continue to stay alongside them to provide security for the American people and for their region. That, that combination, Hugh, had enormous impact in the world, uh, not, just, not just even in the Middle East. I think it reduced the risk that we're going to have to send 20, 40, 60,000 Americans to fight and die there someday. But the whole world saw that. Uh, and then I'll close with this. The Kingdom of Saudi Arabia today is far better off as a result of the leadership of Mohammed bin Salman than it would have been with anyone else. He is working to bring that nation to, towards modernity. And there are going to be days we're going to shake our heads and we're not going to like it and they're not going to move as fast as we'd like. But I'll give you this concrete idea. I'll give the American people this concrete idea. If you had a daughter in Saudi Arabia today, she was 8, 10, 12, 15 years old, you would be hopeful that Mohammed bin Salman would continue to be empowered to make the progress towards modernity that that nation has made in the past five years. I'm counting on him to continue to do it. He has great friends in the Emirates, Mohammed bin Zayed and others who will work alongside him to help him achieve that. The best interest of the United States of America is to make sure that we never lose our connectivity to the Emiratis, the Bahrainis, the Kuwaitis, the Saudis, who will be our good security partners protecting us, not only from threats in the Middle East, terror coming from Iran or from Lebanon or from Yemen, but also working with us against the challenge of the century, the Chinese Communist Party. Coming up. Americans recognize that China is not just a threat to our safety and freedom and independence, but it's a threat to our prosperity. Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton. When the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment. Stay with us. Hi, it's Mike Gallagher. I start every day by reading through the stories at Daybreak Insider. It's a look at today's most compelling stories and provides responses from key conservatives in media and politics. Over a quarter million people get Daybreak Insider by email daily, and it's available to you at no cost. Go to daybreakinsider.com and simply plug in your email. That's daybreakinsider.com. In five minutes, you will be the most informed person in the office. That's daybreakinsider.com. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt, brought to you in partnership with our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. As we consider the very dangerous world that we live in today and what we really can do about it, there is something very distressing. 
President Biden and so many leading voices on the left today seem to believe we're only looking at misunderstandings. Or at least they seem blind and deaf to what many recognize as a new Cold War. Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton is another leader with a keen eye on the threats to our nation. He's out with his new book, Only the Strong, reversing the left's plot to sabotage American power. Cotton was a guest on my program. When I see Joe Biden uh, talking about the evils around the world that can be overcome by cheerleading, I just don't think they understand. Am I being too generous? Do they understand and don't care or do they not understand? Again, it gets back to some of the, the philosophical and ideological roots of American decline on the left that we discussed earlier this week. If you reject America's founding, the moral basis of our country, uh, if you think that human nature is somehow changeable, that it can be perfected, that we can achieve heaven on earth, uh, that we can return to the garden this side of heaven, then you are easily duped by ruthless, bloodthirsty dictators like Xi Jinping or Fidel Castro or the Ayatollahs. If you add on to that the deep ambivalence about America, open hostility to American power that the new left gave to us in the 1960s and 1970s, you get what you just described. Democrats who fall prey to especially left-wing dictators. Remember, it's never pro-American, right-wing strongmen. It's always left-wing, anti-American dictators. And they, uh, in, in effect, simply surrender to them. Look at Barack Obama's deal with Cuba. It was actually worse than the deal with Iran. I mean, if, if you just read the terms of it, you would have thought that Cuba had defeated us in a war because we gave them absolute, we got absolutely nothing in return. We gave them everything. But that gets back to the ideological roots of the Democratic Party and their views about American power. No one is talking about China except you and me. Why should we be talking about China? Why have you spent so much time and only the strong talking about China, Tom Cotton? Well, here in many places I've campaigned over the last month, there is actually a conversation about China because Americans recognize that China is not just a threat to our safety and freedom and independence, but it's a threat to our prosperity. So many Americans have lost their jobs to China. So many industries and businesses have been cheated by China. Um, China is the number one threat the United States faces. It's probably, in many ways, a more dangerous threat than Soviet Russia was because of our economic entanglement with China. It was a terrible mistake, a terrible historic strategic mistake to aid China's rise. China was and has been since 1949 a communist nation. And simply because they began to apply market principles in aid of their own development to build their own national power, we should never have been duped in the 1990s and the 2000s that China's rise was somehow going to be peaceful and beneficial for America. If you look carefully, you can see the signs of how China itself repudiated that idea. But certainly by the time Barack Obama took office, we should have been under no illusion that China viewed viewed itself in a competition with America. And now Joe Biden still won't even say that we're in some kind of Cold War with China. Uh, Now, he may not want that. He refused to say in the 1980s we're in a Cold War with Soviet Russia as well. But, you know, you don't really get to make that choice. If a nation like China is waging a Cold War against you, threatening your interests, undermining your friends, stealing from your uh, workers, from your businesses, costing jobs, costing trillions of dollars of economic growth here in America. The only choice you have is to win or to lose. Now, Senator, um, you are on the Intelligence Committee and the Judiciary Committee. 
the breadth and scope and depth of the China challenge to uh, subvert and undermine American interests and to spy on us is so overwhelming. I don't know if we can recover from this. And only the strong, you allude to it. What do you do as a Republican majority? Nothing's going to get done, by the way, if we elect Democrats. Nothing at all. Uh, they, they don't seem to care about this. But do you think Ray and the gang can get on top of this? Well, I, I think we should be spending a lot more of the FBI's time and resources focused on Chinese espionage and less on so-called threats to democracy or other fleeting fears of the Democratic Party they see behind every door. The FBI should not be used as the enforcement arm of Joe Biden's Democratic Party. It should be used to protect Americans. And one key threat is Chinese espionage. I mean, it's, as you say, Hugh, it's pervasive. So although the, the FBI has a lot of dedicated agents who are working on the China threat, we really need even more. And we need to be more clear-eyed about how pervasive that threat is. Even when it's not espionage, China has a vast influence operation in the United States. I mean, look at the way LeBron James responded when the Houston Rockets general manager showed some support for Hong Kong protesters, sucking up to the Chinese provincial government that's responsible for enslaving religious and ethnic minorities in China. Uh, and it needs to be exposed. The American people realize the extent of the threat that China poses. Coming up, the challenge of decoupling. The CCP has had its talons dug pretty deep into the NBA for a long time. When the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment. Celebrating our 25th anniversary, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy invites you to learn from one of our beloved teachers, Dr. Gordon Lloyd, in a four-part webinar series titled The Roots of Political Economy, Capitalism versus Socialism. This free video series teaches foundational principles of free markets, as well as the philosophers behind socialism. Find out more at go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. That's go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. As we consider our Cold War with the Soviet Union and what many have labeled our new Cold War with China, there are at least as many differences as there are similarities. Chief among them, how deeply intertwined the two nations are in manufacturing, finance, entertainment, and then, of course, the world of sport, led, of course, by the NBA. Michael Sobolik serves with the American Foreign Policy Council. He was a guest of Michelle Tafoya on her Sideline Sanity podcast. I think your tweet was something like, the NBA still hasn't learned. Take me through what you, when you saw this picture and what your reaction was. There's a lot to dissect there. It, it's on the one hand, the ambassador of a genocidal regime, the Chinese Communist Party, that has shown no indication that it's willing or interested in changing away from a dictatorship. The CCP has been oppressive for decades inside of China, and they're increasingly becoming oppressive and authoritarian in their foreign policy all around the world. But the other element of this is you have the Washington Wizards, and by broader extension, the NBA, rolling out the red carpet for an emissary of the Chinese Communist Party. Now, this is nothing new, and I know that you know about this very well. The CCP has had its talons dug pretty deep into the NBA for a long time. But what makes this really interesting is 
just over the past few years, there's been a lot of turbulence between the NBA and China for a whole host of reasons. But there seems to be a thawing between the league and China. And uh, the league's been talking about this recently. Their revenues now are back up almost to where they were before China made a blackout of NBA games in 2019. So you see, and let's remind people real quick. In 2019, yeah. the GM of the was it was the Houston Rockets, right? Yes, Daryl Morey tweeted out. Yeah. We, yes, Daryl Morey tweeted out. We, I, I stand or we stand with Hong Kong, and their independence. Something of that nature. Am I, am I close? Yeah, you're right. So yeah, just to back up to give some more context here, uh, the CCP, uh, Chinese Communist Party, was cracking down on democracy protests from very young students in Hong Kong in 2019. And Daryl Morey, as you, as you said, the general manager of the Rockets at the time, uh, tweeted a really innocuous tweet, which is fight for freedom, stand for Hong Kong or something like that. And the blowback yeah. was instant and it was really intense. The league basically demanded that Adam Silver, the commissioner, fire Daryl Morey. And the threat was, if you don't do this, you're going to lose all your revenue from China. And the league tried to walk a middle ground. They didn't fire Daryl Morey, but they also offered some sort of an apology and they pressured Morey into doing the same, but it wasn't enough. China was like, nope, we're going to black out all of these games and it lasted up until sometime in 2022. Uh, but that backstory, all that to say, tells a really interesting and what should have been an instructive story to folks like Adam Silver and the NBA. This is not your normal partner that you're dealing with. Uh, the CCP shakedowns its own companies all the time. They're not going to hesitate to do the same to an American corporation if it runs afoul of their own national security and foreign policy ambitions. And keep in mind, for the NBA, we're talking billions of viewers and so much revenue from that viewership from China. I mean, the relationship is purely it's purely a monetary one, right? I mean, I can't think of any other reason that the NBA would bow to this this communist dictatorship. It's absolutely monetary. And the thing is, it's not just for the league. Like the league gets hundreds of millions of dollars out of the China market, but it's also the owners. There was this fascinating article, I think it was an ESPN at some point last year, where they lay out the monetary exposure that a whole host of NBA owners have. And it's upwards of like $10 billion with a B. Right. That right. These owners because these owners have their hands in other companies that are either based in China, manufacturing in China, somehow intertwined with China. Is that about right? 100 percent. And, and <laughs> I, I stumbled into this accidentally a year ago. So in January of last year, I came across an individual named Chamath Palihapitiya, who was a minority owner of the Golden State Warriors. He Still maybe for all I know, but at the time he certainly was. And he said on his own podcast that nobody cares about the Uyghurs. Now, for those of you who are oh, listening, God. the Uyghurs are an oppressed Muslim uh, ethnic minority in Western China that are, that are the victims of a genocide right now. They, they have been for the past few years. But Shema, yes, as we speak, as we speak, mm -hmm. that's right. This is happening again in the 21st century. But Chamath Palihapitiya, Golden State Warriors partial owner, couldn't be bothered to care about the Uyghurs. And he was brazen about this. And he got a ton of blowback 
for this. The White House issued a statement about it. Uh, the Golden State Warriors had to issue a statement distancing themselves from this. But this is the recurring problem with not just the NBA, but a lot of American corporations that are in yeah. that are in it with China. They always try to walk this middle yeah. ground of, look, we're making so much money here. We want to try to have our cake and eat it, too. I had Anis Cantor Freedom on my show. He, of course, Turkish basketball player, played in the NBA, living his dream. He once wore some sneakers in pregame that said something about freedom for, for the Turks. And, you know, they were the NBA was like, God love you. We support you. That's great. We, you know, we'll support you in any, any way we can. Then he wore some you know, sweatshirt or T-shirt or sneakers that said something about save the Uyghurs, you know, and the NBA went apoplectic and it wasn't long before he was out of the league. And I'm skipping a couple of steps there, but, but we turn a blind eye to what's happening to these people in China and we continue to do business with them again, Michael, hard to get away from bottom line is money, right? It, 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 and, and deep, deep manufacturing entanglements. Well, first off, Ennis Kander Freedom is is a hero, and I, I have yeah. profound respect for him because he took a moral, principled stand at a cost to himself. And a another thing I really appreciate about his witness is that he's highlighting a level of oppression inside of China that Americans, by our own recent experience, will find difficult to really understand. When LeBron James chastised Daryl Morey and told him he needed to be educated about what was happening to the Uyghurs, oh, I mean, the, the funny thing about that is that there's a grain of truth in there was we should be educated, but not in the way that LeBron, yeah, well, not in the way that LeBron was suggesting. Coming up, is there hope? Many people have met their demise over the last 250 years by underestimating the American people. We return to Senator Cotton in the final segment of the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. When you consider how tense and divided our nation is today, and you look at the fundamental divides that we see on so many cultural and political issues, it's hard to imagine how we can come together to face a common foe. Let's go back for a key bit of my conversation with Senator Tom Cotton. Cotton's book again, Only the Strong, reversing the left's plot to sabotage American power. Abraham Lincoln went to Cooper Union and he tried to make a serious argument about why slavery was never the intention of the framers, why it could not be extended to the territory. It was a long speech. It was electrified. It made his presidency viable. It made him a candidate. It was a serious argument, but it was a serious time and people used to read. Do you think serious arguments work in an era of Twitter and MSNBC? Yeah, I do, Hugh. Uh, for the record, I think Abraham Lincoln would also have been great on Twitter. He was so pithy and, and witty. I mean, remember, the Gettysburg Address could probably fit in a few tweets. But we've been down this road before. In the years after Vietnam and the Jimmy Carter presidency, many of the fears that Americans have today, they had then as well. Not all of this history gets into only the strong, but I read deeply about that era and about Ronald Reagan and how rapidly he turned America around. By winning again in 2024, having a new president with new secretary of defense and a new secretary of state, committed leaders who believe in America, who are proud of our country and its heritage and hopeful and optimistic about our future, and we can turn it around. And that's what the American people want. It's what they expect and they deserve. 
They deserve leaders to attend to their interests, to ensure their safety and their freedom and their prosperity, who don't apologize for America, who don't undermine the sources of American power. If one makes that argument, I think the American people will receive it very well. Senator Cotton, in uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn's memoir, The Oak and the Cap, he said, what if it's only paper mache? He was referring to the then Soviet Union. He was referring to the superpower that no one thought would ever fall. Do you think we can actually pull this off again? I know we hope, I know you hope we can, but do you really think a second Reagan can arrive and a second renewal following catastrophic foreign policy failure can occur? I absolutely do, Hugh. I mean, I, I draw upon Reagan's wisdom a lot because he drew upon the founders' wisdom. Their foreign policy looks different because of different circumstances and ages, but at root, it still was based in pride about our nation and understanding the way the world works and a dedication to our safety and our freedom and our prosperity. The American people still want that. I also draw a lot upon Winston Churchill as well. We did not journey all this way. We did not come across the ages, cross the, the oceans, and cross the mountains and the plains because we're made of sugar candy. The American people are not made of sugar candy. They are not paper mache. Many people, many people have met their demise over the last 250 years by underestimating the American people. Thank you for joining us for the Town Hall Review with you, Hewitt. If you enjoyed the podcast, do me a favor, mention it to a friend or two. Special thanks to executive producer Russell Schubin and producers David Bouchon, Jacob Ordunia, Michael Cook, Adam Ramsey, Tim Gantner, and of course, Dwayne Patterson. Let me say thanks once again to our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for joining us for Town Hall Review. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.